right, welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I am here again with my wonderful wife, Natasha Mason. <laughs> hello, hello. And there she is, and we are glad to be back with you. This is another episode on the book of Acts, study on the book of Acts. Um, this should be Acts chapter 6. Um, interestingly enough, Acts chapter 6 is a pretty short chapter. Um, but there's some really crucial key things in this chapter that I want to go over um, that I'm glad, you know, we're going to have a little more time to do because there's not so much scripture here. Um, but just kind of going back once again and setting the stage for where we're at, we have the ascension of Jesus in the first chapter of Acts. We have the um, disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them in Acts chapter 2. And we have the day of Pentecost, I believe, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. Um, once we get to Acts chapter 4 and 5, uh, we see uh, the disciples continually going up to the temple. Um, and they're um, encountering the Sadducees. Um, they're also encountering the sick and the lame man who was laid at the gate. Uh, we saw where Peter was uh, questioned before the Sadducees. Um, the last chapter, chapter 5, we had Gamliel. Gamliel standing up amidst in the middle of the Sadducees and saying, hold on, you know. Um, I actually got to talk about that a little bit this week. I got yeah. to talk a little bit about Gamliel over the weekend. Um, really because in chapter 5 it was really put forward that... Um, there were two other, uh, a couple other uprisings that came before uh, the disciples came along. And Gamaliel was uh, basically saying that if, if what they're saying is true, um, you're not going to be able to stop it. And you don't want to look like you're fighting against God. Um, and he was saying, but if it is, if it's not true, it'll fade away, which we see even in today's age, uh, time and time again, religions or cults or whatever they are, they, they pop up, they spring up, and um, they fall away because the, the truth is... Um, it doesn't, the underlying truth is not as important as the experience. So we still see that in some of the modern church that we have today. A lot of people are really getting involved with the experience before they actually have a knowledge or a basis um, to build their foundation on and their core beliefs. Um, so that was something. But the, the gospel, interestingly enough, the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified, resurrected from the dead, um, has still been going on uh, 2,000 years now, close to 2,000 years. Um, so the gospel continues on because those who believe, we see it, right? We see Jesus in our lives. We see Jesus in other believers. Um, we see God in creation. We see God in so many wonderful ways. And so we know that he's real and we know the truth of his word. Um, and so it continues on in the believers. We also have the same Holy Spirit that was gifted to uh, the disciples on the day of Pentecost and to the others that they, uh, they spoke to and all the new converts. Interestingly enough, I want to point out too again continually that there are, uh, at this stage of the gospel spreading, it is still in Jerusalem. It's still amongst the Jews. It's still predominantly a Jewish um, church that has sprung up. It has uh, you know, spread through the city. Um, they've added thousands to their, their ranks, and they've gone door-to-door -to, -door to spread the gospel of uh, Yeshua with his brethren. Um, so in this chapter, we're going to see a few different things um, come up. And there's one particular thing here that I want, I'm going to point out. We're going to talk a little bit more about in depth because I want us to get a little bit of grasp of what was going on. But we're going to start off with verse uh, 1. Um, and we'll stop after you read. Actually, read verse 1. So go ahead. Just verse 1. Yeah, just read the okay. first one. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Because their widows were neglected in the daily 
administration. Oh, interesting. So this is a long administration. The daily I had to administration. concentrate on the same menstruation. Oh, no, I'm glad you got it correct. So um, do you know what that is? Do you know what's going on there? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's all right. So basically what was going on is uh, in some other translations, it's going to say Hellenistic Jews. Um, so here it says Grecians, correct? So mm-hmm. there were there were some Grecians who were upset basically because the daily menstruation was the... Um, the, I don't know how you say it, mill on wheels. It was the taking food to the widows, the poor, the shut-ins, um, and they were upset. They felt like they were being left out of it, that the Jews in uh, that were in Jerusalem at the time um, were getting more attention than the Hellenistic Jews. Now you might say to yourself, what is a Hellenistic Jew? Um, these are Jewish people who came from areas outside of Jerusalem that were they were dispersed when the ba- Babylonians came in. Let me get that word out. Um, they took the Jew, Jewish people into captivity, uh, the Hebrews, um, and it was known as the Diaspora. So the Hellenistic Jews or the Grecians here are Jews who were not born in Israel or in Jerusalem or in Judea in, in those areas. They've, they've come from outside of the area, and they're now, they're now on the inside. So they, I think they felt like they were... Um, they like, might have like the redheaded step. Yeah, they might have felt like they were uh, lesser, and they felt like they were being left out of this daily menstruation. Um, they also they're they're primarily speaking Greek. These are that's their native language is what these folks speak. So they're kind of upset that they feel like you know, hey, we've we've been left out of this. And this is interesting because there's in this very first verse, uh, we'll we'll continue on. Go ahead. Okay, continuing chapter two, uh, verse two. Excuse me. Yes. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples upon them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parnamus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Okay, so they've, so uh, basically this complaint has come up that they're being left out of the daily menstruation, they're not the, dispen, the distribution of food, um, and so the disciples are like, you know, that we really need to tend to this because this is important, but um, we could probably give it to someone who is... Um, more faithful, you know, who's, who's honest and trustworthy and represents Christ in all these different ways. Uh, our focus is on spreading the gospel. Um, so what is going on here? This is the first instance of deacons. Um, these are deacons. So if you think of the body of Christ and Peter and John, and, and they're trying to preach the gospel, um, they need someone to tend to the cares of the congregation. And so that's what this is the first established uh, work of deacons, um, which is a servant office. That's the idea behind deacons. Um, so they, they choose seven men. Stephen is the leader. Um, one of the interesting then when there was the, um, what was his name again? The last one. Uh, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Yes. So six out of these um, seven men are Jewish, and Nicholas is a Gentile. He's a Gentile who uh, converted to Judaism by um, study, circumcision, and baptism. So he was a Gentile who decided he wanted to follow after Judaism, um, who came to Messiah. So now you have um, six 
Jewish people, a Jewish man, and one who is not. And and we're still seeing the same picture here, especially with the, the Hellenistic Jews and then having this Gentile involved, that the gospel um, was to the Jew first, but then it's going to go to the Gentiles and the Greeks and all these other people. And we see that in the very first few verses of this chapter that God's plan is, is, is still in effect. They don't even realize it. I don't think Peter's even realized it at this point that the gospel is still supposed to go to all the world. He thinks it's still primarily a Jewish gospel. But it's interesting enough here that one of the deacons they chose was a Gentile who had converted. Um, continue on. Continuing in verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. All right, stop. So we're going to stop there too. Um, so now they've laid their hands upon these deacons and they have prayed over them and the gospel increased. And what the laying on of hands here was a symbol of really was their authority, um, that the disciples had given them the authority and permission to uh, tend to the needs of the congregation. And because they were willing to do this, they went out and, and uh, you know fed the people and took care of these, these duties. Um, the gospel was continuing to spread because Peter, they didn't have to stop preaching to tend to the minor things of the church. Um, and so the gospel is continuing to spread because of their work. Now in verse seven, uh, read that one more time. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Oh, there's something interesting there. So now we go back to, it says the priest, where these are priests in the temple. It could have been the Sadducees um, that they had stood before and they had testified. Honestly, it could be Gamaliel. It could be any one of these men who are priests in the temple. But it says a, uh, a great, a good group of priests had decided to believe. Um, and not only did they believe, but they were also obedient, obedient to, the, to faith. the faith. So they were showing their, um, really when you think about salvation, it's based on knowledge. Um, that a person is convinced is true, right? And because you have that, your faith is going to produce obedience. This is this is the whole thing we argue a lot of times about um, salvation by grace and salvation by works and salvation by this and that. Um, our salvation, our faith is uh, produced and is evident by our obedience to God. A lot of people say, well, your faith without works is dead. So what the scripture says, sure, why not? But because faith is built or... Faith is really rooted in obedience. You can't really believe in everything God has said, and you can't believe in the word of God. Here they couldn't even believe that Yeshua has risen from the dead if they were not obedient to follow after what was being said. If they didn't trust in him, if they didn't put their faith in him, they weren't going to be able to, to have that salvation that they needed. So really important here is that they believed. That's the first thing the priest did. They believed the report that they heard, and then they were obedient to the faith. And I think that's something... Um, very key in our society today that we're missing. Um, a lot of people are not obedient. They want the, we call it fire protection, you know, right. they want the, the quick pass, um, but they don't want the word of God. And you can't, honestly, you can't call yourself a child of God if you're not willing to obey his word. There's faith and obedience are hand in hand. Continue on. In verse eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the Synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrene, Syrians and Alexandrians and of them of Sicilia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. 
And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. All right. So stop there. We've got this group who Stephen has, obviously, he is uh, performing miracles. He's doing wonderful things in the name of the Lord. He has this authority that the disciples and God has placed upon him. They put their trust in him and God put his power in him. And he's doing these wonderful things. Then we have this group who are coming from different synagogues. Now, it's interestingly enough, these again are these, uh, we, we could call them the Hellenistic Jews. They're the Jews from the diaspora. This is the, they're coming from synagogues outside of Jerusalem. And when it came down to it, um, uh, Stephen was presenting the gospel to them that Jesus, Yeshua, was the descendant of David, just like Peter had. Um, he really, I mean, he probably took them through uh, the great majority of prophecies in the uh, Torah, in the Old Testament, and uh, they couldn't dispute him because they they just didn't know what to say. Um, had they been in Jerusalem and they seen these things happen, that might be different. But here you are, you have this outside group that is really trying to uh, intervene and interfere in the, the uh, establishment of the congregation, the body of Christ. Uh, continue on. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then, then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. All right, stop right there. Um, so interesting. There's a word there. There was a big word there. Do you see if you can find it real quick? What did they try to do? He gave them the truth and they said they couldn't dispute it. They suborned. Ah, suborned. So in your King James version of the Bible, it's going to say suborned. So what that word means, it's a verb and it is to bribe or induce someone to commit an unlawful, an unlawful act such as perjury. So it's interesting, uh, under the Old Testament law, lying was a serious offense, and it, it, in some instances, it was punishable by death. And here these men were, they had no argument against Stephen. They couldn't prove that what he was saying wasn't true about Yeshua. So what they did was, is they tried to bribe someone to lie about what he was saying. And, and here they are, they're supposed to be keepers of the law. They're supposed to be keepers of Torah. And they're paying someone to lie against Stephen. Interesting, keep that in your mind, that they are lying against Stephen. Go ahead. Mm. And set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceaseth... Ceaseth? Ceaseth not. <laughs> ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy. <laughs> what? She's struggling with these words. <laughs> shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Wait, stop. This is huge. This, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to pay attention. This is ginormous. Um, there is a lie that has been presented here, not only against Stephen, but against, even in our current day and age, the same lie is persisting. And in, uh, I know you struggle to read it. I'm going to try again. But I want you to read I'm it, it one again. more time so we can we can hear this clearly. No giggling. So okay, here we go. Distracted. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Okay, so they, so in the verse before that, they said he was going to uh, do away with, basically do away with the law, correct? And set up false witnesses which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And the law. So here we have, I need everybody to pay attention. So these two verses say that the lie that they they propose about Stephen is, is that he is speaking blasphemy against the law. He is saying that Jesus is going to overturn the customs of Moses. 
right? He's going to destroy this temple and he's going to get rid of the law and that the law is done away with. We hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. Jesus is, came to fulfill the law. Yes. Now we're under grace. Matthew five seventeen through 18. Uh, he said, I've come to, to fulfill the law. He said, I'm not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Christ, he said, not one jot or tittle shall pass away from this law until all things are accomplished. And all things have not yet been accomplished. That means this is Jesus speaking. And anyone who wants to argue that, that's fine. But Jesus himself said it wouldn't pass away until everything was accomplished. He has not returned yet. He has not caught us up. He has not set up his throne. There are things that have yet to be accomplished, which means the law of God is still in effect. The only thing that's not in effect is the punishment that we should receive for failing the law of God. And this is the exact same lie that they used against Stephen. Stephen says the law is done away with. Stephen says Jesus is going to get rid of the customs that Moses said we should continue to follow. He says that, that, that he's going to destroy this temple, this very place where we worship. And generally, honestly, what they probably heard Stephen talking about is when Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. And what he was talking about was his own death. And so they probably didn't understand that very clearly. They just thought there was something, they thought there was something that was going on. Uh, so I looked up Matthew 5 because I wanted to. Yes, yeah, so if you wouldn't mind reading Matthew five seventeen and 18. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Till all, exactly. So we, we can sit and argue, and I'm not saying we are under the penalty of the law. No one should, I, that is something that the scripture itself has made clear. We are not under the law of sin. We are not under the penalty of the law, but we are still obedient to do the words of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, is what he had said. This is very important. The commandments, he, when he says that verse, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The New Testament was not written. So what commandments is he talking about? The commandments that were already given. That's what he was talking about. So here's the same lie that they're using against Stephen. And they're saying, oh, look at this Stephen. He's, a, he's, a, he's trying to get rid of the law. He's trying to get rid of the customs of Moses. What are the customs of Moses? Uh, the seven festivals, the Passover, uh, Sukkot. I mean, uh, it's Pentecost. It's all these different things, the festivals and feasts of, that we're supposed to continue on celebrating. We just kind of threw them out the window because somebody came along and said, well, Jesus did away with the law. So do you think that if... if as is contended today, that Jesus was like, oh, no, you don't have to pay attention to that. You don't have to do that. Don't you think that he would have had the disciples say all that? Uh, yeah, he would have said it himself. He wouldn't have said this in Matthew right. five seventeen. He wouldn't have said, I've not come to destroy it. He said, mm, I'm going to do away with it, or I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to replace it with something different. Um, you know, people like to think that um, law and grace can't co coexist, but they, they do every day in our society every day. Law and grace are everywhere. I mean, the... People go to court and they, they face the law and they get grace and mercy from a judge. Two things can coexist at the same time. Um, one did, did not have to replace the other. What it did was Christ was the fulfillment of the penalty, the, the debt that was required by the law. He was that fulfillment of the law. But uh, the now, now that we have the Holy Spirit, we should be able to walk in this. So they get up there and they lie. And this is what they're lying on Stephen for. Continue on. So the last verse is, And all that sat in the council 
looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Uh, interesting. So while they're making these accusations against Stephen, Stephen is standing there. And, and it, I think a lot of people, some people might think that his face was glowing like the sun or something like that. But I think what they saw was a man who was peaceful and content and the, the Holy Spirit of God set upon him. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't worried. He knew they were lying. Um, he didn't have to explode into anger and rage to say, no, you're a bunch of liars, you know. He didn't do that. This is the same. He's got the same disposition on him now that Christ had on him when he was brought before uh, Herod and Caesar. Uh, the scripture said he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, but he opened not his mouth. He knew what they were doing was wrong, but he didn't open his mouth. And so Stephen has this same appearance to him, and they recognize something is different about this man who's standing in front of us. There's something on him. There's something in him that is very different from what we're used to seeing. Um, so here, you know, this, this chapter, like I said, is a really short chapter, um, but it's really, there's some real meaty stuff there because it really can challenge what we've always heard that, um, you know, that the law, they're, they're accusing him of getting rid of the law. And, and I only bring that up because that's a huge point that we hear in churches today is that the law is done away with. And when you get rid of, people are always going to say legalism. You're trying to put us back under legalese or legalism. No, I'm not. Um, what I'm trying to say is we have hyper grace in our society right now. We've hyper graced everything that if we snap or smack the name of Jesus on it, it makes it okay. Uh, literally, if somebody went out and made a, I don't know, if they went out and made a beer and they slapped Jesus's image on the side, somebody would say it was holy. Somebody would say it was righteous. If they, I mean, this is just where we're headed to. We're to this point now to where uh, the Savior that died on the cross for our sins is a joke to people, and he doesn't seem to have the uh, authority in people's lives that he used to have or the respect that used to be there. Um, and so it's it's becoming interesting, and, and the further we go, the, the, the less concern for God we see in our society because we've hyper-graced it all the way. We've said, uh, yeah, you know, as long as the Holy Spirit says it's okay, it's okay to do. There's some things that God has said do not do. Um, you know, there's some things, there's two or three things I could list right now in this podcast that the majority of you listening would say that's a sin, we shouldn't do it. And where do you find that? Under the law. But if the law is done away with, why would that matter? Because we can't pick and choose these things. These things are very important. It either is the law or it is not. Right, it's either the word of God or it's not. So in the, and we've talked about it before, but in the uh, in the Hebrew, uh, the, the word Torah that we've translated in our Bible to law actually translate out to instructions. So the the first five books of the Bible where God gives his, uh, his rules for living are basically the instructions for proper living. That's what the Bible's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a book of proper, if you want to know how God wants you to live, you're going to have to read the Old Testament. Um, and a lot of people avoid it because they think it's old stories and it doesn't really apply to my life and it doesn't matter it's right Sunday now. Sunday school stories. Yes, exactly. But the principles and the ideas and, and, and living how the Father wants us to live, is it going to make us righteous to obey the law? Absolutely not. Our, we can't affect our own righteousness. You know, Our righteousness before God is as filthy rags and I can't affect my own righteousness. But we just read that the high priests in the temple believed and then they obeyed they had obedience to the word of God. And what did they obey? They obeyed what the Lord had told them to do, what was right and what was wrong. This is how the Lord wants you to live. This is what the Lord wants you to do. Here are my commandments. Follow after them. And that's what they did. They believed and they were able to follow after. Because the Holy Spirit really uh, dwells in us. And once the Holy Spirit is in us, we have the ability to obey the Father. 
the sin, this old man should be buried and gone and we shouldn't have to worry about it anymore. So anyway, that's all you're going to get out of this chapter from me. Uh, there's probably a lot more deep stuff here. If you want to go back and do a little more research into maybe some of the Hellenistic Jews, the diaspora, look that up, kind of figure out they went into Babylon, read about Esther and Haman and all the things that happened there and uh, how they came back. That would actually uh, help you understand the story more. But we have this story now where Stephen is standing before the council. He has been accused falsely. He's been lied on. And uh, Stephen is going to have to face some really hard uh, challenges coming up that are going to be permanent. Um, so we hope you'll get with us again on Acts chapter 7. Uh, we might have to split that one in two. It's a really big one. It's a long chapter. So we might split that one into two parts. Uh, but we ask that you continue to like and share this with your friends and neighbors, uh, anyone else you can get who might be interested in listening to a study on the book of Acts. And all the background noise today has been brought to you by our cat. Apollo. Yes, our cat, who is Greek. Um, and he has been running around <laughs> and just making all kinds of noises. So we thank you for that. All right, so uh, we will catch you next time. <laughs> Bye.